Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. I recently moved back to New Zealand after about six years away in Redding, California, where I was the art director, which looks like designing, photography, and wearing a ton of other hats at the same time, for Bethel Music. Uh, I was born and raised in Hamilton, and uh, about, how long was it, 2007 when we started coming to this church, so I feel like I'm almost as old as the carpet in some ways. <laughs> as part of our People of Worship series, uh, Don and Chris have asked me to look at the pursuit of worship, found in one of my favorite encounters in Scripture, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. This is a revelation of new covenant worship, and it's expounded by Jesus in John 4, and it's spoken so deeply to my heart, and it's actually fundamentally shifted and changed the way in which I not only view God, but view my worship and how I connect and commune with Him. So if you've got your Bibles, would you turn to John 4, and we're going to be picking off, uh, starting off, picking off, wow, at verse 3, and it'll be on the screens up here too. So he, Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from that journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Skipping forward, Jesus and the Samaritan woman have a rigorous conversation where Jesus speaks to her of living water, eternal life, and then proceeds to recite her entire life story back to her. Picking back up at verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth. You know, we often talk of pleasing God and longing to bring him what he desires. And here in John 4, with this interaction with Jesus and this woman, we're given the roadmap for a new covenant way of relating to, worshipping Yahweh. I think it's important for us to note, though, that we view this well-touted story through the context of 21st century modern-day worldview. To the Samaritan woman and to that entire culture, Jesus, firstly as the Messiah, God himself, and secondly as a Jewish man, was shattering cultural and societal norms by even speaking to this woman. Right off the bat, the Samaritan woman encounters the one that these people have been unknowingly arguing over how to please and how to worship. And she encounters him, waiting, available, and wanting to meet with her. At that moment, in the heat of the day, with the disciples ahead of him buying food in the village, God himself had cleared his schedule and was waiting to meet with her. In my life, I've seen this concept of spirit and truth not only be the foundation upon which I've framed my worship lifestyle, but in turn, I've found it to be the very way that God connects with me too. 
as I bring myself in spirit with nothing to hide, offering him my love, my adoration, my praise and my thanksgiving, bringing my whole self, warts and all, and I find Jesus every time waiting, available and wanting to meet with me. As we heard last week and through countless books and songs, worship is a lifestyle. It's so much more than music. Words and music are not synonyms for praise and worship. Yes, music is a powerful medium and a very special gift that we've been given as a way to connect with God. And we're told many times in scripture to sing a new song. But at its core, worship is a state of being. It's a way of living. It's a lifestyle. So if we're going to worship the Father in spirit and truth, we need to fundamentally understand what worship even means. Truthfully, outside of Sundays, and maybe if you're like me, a good jam in the car on a Monday, how many of us would actually consider ourselves as personal worshipers? Would we see our day-to-day lives as worship to the Lord? Are we aware of his wraparound presence, as the Passion Translation so beautifully puts it, with us in every moment? I suspect that if we're living under that definition of worship equals music, and we're not a great singer or a musician, then we don't. And I spent the first 20 years of my life living under that mistaken definition of worship, and it nearly killed me. When I was about five years old, I first heard the voice of God. I remember where I was, crayons in hand, sprawled out on the floor at Grandma and Papa's house in Thames. I woke up early, as five-year-olds often do, quietly coloring and drawing. And I remember the Lord speaking to me and saying, Stephen, I've called you to be a worship leader, and one day you'll lead the world in worship. Already at this age, I discovered a musical love for worship. Uh, Earlier that year, our family had been given a CD called Shout to the Lord 2000 by Hillsong. And it's kind of like a live compilation of their greatest hits from the 90s, and I was hooked. I thrashed that baby every day, and I had a plastic microphone. I think we've got a picture. Well, I know, I brought the pictures. There I am, that plastic microphone. (laughs) And I would walk around the house, run around the house singing songs like My Redeemer Lives, All Things Are Possible, can't stop talking about everything he's done. And I would lead anything and everything in worship from my parents to a peanut butter jar. And at the same time, I remember discovering as well beautiful songs of worship, like the potter's hand, shout to the Lord, and eagle's wings, with these heavenly melodies that perfectly matched lyrics of adoration and worship, and they they would wash over me and connect my little heart to the divine in a way that I'd never experienced before. Fast forward a few years, and I was at school, heart set on being the next Darlene Check, and if you don't know who that is, it's the blonde lady that started Hillsong. Take note. I was heaven bent on making this God dream work in my own hands. Whatever it took. Ended up becoming my famous last words as I spent countless hours in painful piano, guitar, drum, and singing lessons for the next 10 years. Frustratingly, and yet not surprisingly, if you've ever sat near me down the front, none of those lessons stuck didn't have the natural musical bone in me. (laughs) And around 15 years old, I decided to finally put that dream on the shelf, and I told God that he'd got it wrong. I would just focus on what I love to do instead, 
which was a newfound passion for graphic design. More accurately, cutting out pictures of Darlene Chick from Hillsong albums and remaking the album covers the way I thought they should have been made. So with the dream of worship and leadership well and truly out of the picture, I set about developing my creativity and refining my design skills. I left high school at 15 and went to Wintech to study design and photography. And I'm so grateful to my parents who saw the peril of me in a math and science class and allowed me to leave at 15 and pursue those passions. I remember while thinking not, not too much about that five-year-old God dream, I was still deeply hurt and angry at God for not making that dream come true and for not giving me the voice or the musical abilities that I seemed to see in people around me. Fast forward to March 2013. I'd graduated from Wintec with my Bachelor of Media Arts, moved out of home, sent out literally hundreds of resumes, two design jobs, and I took a job at the only place that got back to me, Farmers in Chartwell where I didn't do any kind of design or creativity, but I stocked shelves at 5 a.m. Because, in the words of mum and dad, and originally Colossians 3, verse 23, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might, as though working for the Lord and not for men. The dream in my heart that was now to be a famous graphic designer living in New York City <laughs> was so far from what I saw in my hand walking to farmers each morning in the freezing cold foggy Hamilton winter and then folding socks and underwear for five hours. <laughs> However, where I'd forgotten the five-year-old God dream, the original dreamer hadn't. And where I'd made many futile attempts to bring that dream about in my own strength, the Lord was simply waiting for this very moment to walk me into my greatest destiny and calling. One night, after a particularly hard, hard day, folding socks and underwear, I went out for an evening run. It was raining and it was cold, and I was running, soaking wet and yelling at God. It's kind of like a scene from a bad movie, bad Christian movie, bad movie. They all seem to have a scene like this in them. I was running until I couldn't make my legs move anymore, and then I had it out with God in a field, yelling at him, accusing him of everything going wrong in my life. And then out of nowhere, for good measure, I threw that five-year-old dream at him too. As soon as I finished that insult hurling, God spoke to me so clearly, and he said that I'd made a God out of my struggles and my pain, and that if I was willing to give him a year of my life, he would take me on a journey and show me what it meant to truly worship him and love him in spirit and truth. So, with absolutely nothing to lose, I told God that I would do it. But, after I was done with this year, if he hadn't made things better or given me a clear path to something great, I was done with living for him. How gracious is God? Here I was, my own proverbial woman at the well moment, in the middle of a field in the rain, with all my filth and my dirt, in a, in a verbal wrestling match with the Messiah. And there he was, waiting, available, willing to listen, to understand, and best of all, to help. So almost like magic, as I began to run home, the Lord dropped this idea into my heart that I called the worship project. The premise was simple. Each day for 365 days, I would take a song or a scripture that was dear to my heart, and I would create a graphic or a piece of art centered around that song or that verse and post it to a Tumblr blog. Tumblr, rest in peace. I believe we have some slides here of what this art looked like. 
And so with every footstep pounding the pavement as I ran, I would see a new graphic. I would see a new, or I'd hear a new song in my mind, and it was all starting to fall into place. I was captivated by this genius idea. You have to understand, back in 2013, although not incredibly long ago, there wasn't as much of this like bad, kitschy Christian art around. And I was aware of this project and its kind of genius idea and how it might actually get me noticed, could get me famous, or maybe just get me a job. As quickly as he'd spoken in the reigning field, he spoke again and he addressed the pride and the desire for fame that was rising quickly in my heart. He said, you're gonna do this 365 day project anonymously because you either do it for me or you don't do it at all. Fine, I said kind of a late amendment to the terms and conditions, but that's fine. Told you I'd give you a year, so let's do it. Fast forward 365 days, and as I uploaded that final graphic to the blog, I heard the Lord speak again. He said, go and look at the statistics of this blog. As I scrolled through the past year, scribbled down some notes, I saw to my surprise that the blog had amassed nearly 100,000 followers. And those pieces of art and design had been shared or reblogged nearly 1.5 million times by almost every nation on earth. Again, the Lord spoke to me. See, you're a worship leader and you're leading the world in worship. You just limited worship to music and leadership to a stage. Your spirit and truth worship looks like offering your creativity, your design, your photography to me in joy. And it looks like trusting me with speaking my truth over the hard parts of your life. Don't ever underestimate my ability to show my faithfulness to you and to what I call you to ever again. And it was this worship project that ultimately ended up being the portfolio that landed on Bethel Music's desk. And I was hired at Bethel Music a year later as their visual worship leader. Further confirmation that God was not only faithful to his word, but had bigger plans for my life than I did. You know, I wasted too many years craving someone else's anointing, seeking to live up to someone else's standard of ministry or desiring fame, when all along Jesus was waiting for me, waiting for me to wake up to the greater reality of him alive in me, needing no other anointing than his. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Romans 12, 1-2 also frames it like this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. The first 20 years of my life was spent believing that God was unkind and unfaithful because I was viewing him through my brokenness and my pain. Like the Samaritan woman, I've been unfaithful to my vows, the vows that I'd made to Jesus when I confessed him as the Lord of my life. And yet here was the Lord, waiting, available, and willing to sit with me in my brokenness. He wasn't offended by my circumstances or defiled by my scars and my wounds. Instead, he saw me and he stooped down to lift me up. He used my brokenness, my end of the tether moment, to teach me how to connect with him again. Spirit and truth worship is connection, it's communion. 
It's what we were made for. Worshiping God in spirit and truth is a taste of the Garden of Eden, restored, reconciled, reunited, this side of eternity. That's the goal of all of it. Men and women walking, working, and communing with the living God. Yes, worship is loving the one who made us, but to simply leave worship defined as loving Jesus with or without music falls short of its ultimate purpose and the blessing that it is not just for God, but for us in our day-to-day lives. As humans, we desire to know and to be known. It's a fundamental complex that we have. And make no mistake, we all worship something or someone. And if we're not fiercely guarding and coveting the direction of our affection, the enemy will pounce at the opportunity to mislead and misguide our worship. Spirit and truth, spirit. God is spirit, and so we connect spirit to spirit. This is why in the new covenant, we're no longer bound by the rules and the regulations of the law, unclean foods, ceremonies, sacrificing bulls, because through Jesus, our great high priest, the need for rituals and ceremonies to atone for our sin has been done away with once and for all. Now it's our lives. It's what we watch, how we speak, what we think, how we treat others, and how we view God. That is our sacrifice, our worship because we are now a royal priesthood, chosen and called according to his purpose, set apart from the foundation of the world to be his holy people, called out from darkness into a glorious new day. Being led by the Holy Spirit and connecting to the Lord, spirit to spirit, is the ultimate expression of liberty and freedom. We're no longer bound by the law and the Holy Spirit has come to breathe life over your unique expression of worship. The Lord delights in your dancing, your singing, your playing, your designing, painting, mothering, fathering, building, renovating, running, hiking, adventuring. It can all be worship to Him if your heart's in the right place. If we jump back to the musical expression of worship, the only thing that tips our Sunday songs and Monday jams in the car from music to worship is your heart. It's what's going on in here. If we simply sing songs, but our life isn't lived as a song. We're not truly worshiping. Spirit and truth, truth. Truth isn't sexy and it's not cool, but it's what tips the story of a man 2,000 years ago with some wise words into the reality of the Messiah on a cross, laying his life down, bloody and bruised, dying for you so that he could be in communion and in connection with you, with me again. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, capital T, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if we're called to be more and more like Jesus with every breath, then we have to embrace truth and deeply desire the truth, capital T, to search us, to know us, and to bring to light anything in us that is seeking to keep us from connection with him. Proverbs 23.23 sums it up brilliantly and says, buy the truth and never sell it. And I've found that in my life, many, many times over, offering God worship this side of eternity always costs me something. Sometimes that cost looks like choosing to worship. It looks like fighting for connection when everything in our life pulls us in every direction other than His. Sometimes worship looks like warfare 
It looks like digging your heels in, refusing to bow to the enemy, refusing to bow to temptation, and refusing to be distracted and to prioritize him with every breath. And sometimes, worship is simply embracing the mundane, the farmers at Chartwell, bringing God glory and honor, especially when no one's looking. So, what does it look like to live in truth practically? Well, Paul sums this up in Colossians 3, 5 to 11, kind of in the same vein as Romans 12, 1 to 2. And we find Paul exhorting the believers to live as one who has died to every form of sexual sin and impurity. Live as one, live, yeah, sorry, <laughs> live as one who has died to the desire for forbidden things, including the desire for wealth, which is the essence of idol worship. See, again, we all worship something. Where is your allegiance? But that's how you once behaved, he says, characterized by your evil deeds. But now it's time to eliminate them from your lives once and for all. Anger, fits of rage, all forms of hatred, cursing, filthy speech, and lying. Lay aside your old Adam self with its masquerades and its disguises. For you have acquired new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. In that scripture, verse 9, where it just says lying can also be translated as living a lie. Worship is honor, and I don't want any part of my life to be a lie, to be a hidden space where I let things grow, where I let darkness fester in my heart. Spirit and truth worship exposes our heart to him and doesn't hold anything back. It invites his very presence to transform us, making us more and more like Jesus. Exodus 3.4 tells the story of Moses' encounter with God in the burning bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why this bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Worship is our attention. God spoke and called Moses when he saw that he'd gone over to look. When God sees that we are turning our attention to him and seeking his face, firstly, he calls us. Then he speaks and whenever he speaks, he speaks truth. Worship aligns our heart with his and lights the path to ultimate surrender as our hearts are softened to the posture of here I am. Seeking God, the pursuit of God, is worship. And I didn't realize this until the other day, but scripture actually doesn't talk about accepting Christ talks a lot about following Christ, about yearning after him, about giving our lives away in pursuit of him. But to merely accept him is to shrug off the responsibility, the passion, and the privilege that has afforded the life of a hungry, thirsty follower of Jesus. To think that because we've found Jesus, you know, at, at, at a point of salvation or in crisis, and therefore need not to seek him daily and to stay desperate for him, is to cheat ourselves of a life that is radical in pursuit of him. 
A.W. Tozer framed it perfectly when he said, Complacency is a deadly foe to all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. We become like who we worship. And to worship God will always require us to turn from something. Like Moses in the burning bush and the woman at the well, God is always there. Sometimes he's raging like a pure fire that will refine us and set us ablaze. And sometimes he's like a humble carpenter at the well in kindness, leading us into repentance and freedom. But he is a holy, jealous God and he shares his glory with no one. And so it is and must be with our hearts and our actions. The truth of our worship, our pursuit of God must mean an undivided heart. We have to be surrendered to him and willing to leave every lie, every wrong belief system and every wrong heart posture behind in pursuit of him. If the devil can't get you to walk away from God through pain and suffering or forget about the need of God through fame and fortune, his oldest trick is that of subtlety, of indifference and apathy. So right now, in this moment, are you desperate for him? Am I desperate for him? And are we desperate for his presence? Are you willing to fight for connection, to rage against distraction? Because intentionality and discipline are the bedrock of a faithful life and no one is faithful by accident. It is a daily choice to honor God and to honor his spirit's lead by making time and prioritizing connection and communion with him. Anointing and authority come from sacrifice and surrender. Your greatest days of influence and breakthrough will come forth out of allegiance to God and the choice to worship when life isn't good. Anyone can worship and bring God glory when life is good. Doesn't take much faith at all. But the sound of praise in the middle of pain and suffering is a gift that we're only able to give this side of eternity. And worshiping truly living from this place is revival. Taking your everyday life and joyfully offering it to Jesus as worship is the new worship movement on the earth today. It's the simplest of invitations and it requires humility, vulnerability, and authenticity. And a church of believers worshiping, living like this is an unstoppable force on the earth today. I love the words of Mother Basilia. She says, do not sleep. There is no condition more dangerous than that of sleepiness. Only when you are awake can you wage a battle. So therefore be alert and fight so that your life will speak of victory. For only when there has been a battle can there be victory. Today, right now in this moment, Jesus is sitting at the well waiting, available, ready to meet with you. Maybe you've known him your whole life and the fire of God is well and truly lit and alive inside of you. And so again tonight, when we open it up again at the front to worship, come running into his arms and lavish your praise upon him. For some of you, you're in the midst of your proverbial rainy field moment, your woman at the well, And so today, maybe your spirit and truth worship looks like giving up the fight and giving over to Jesus, 
bringing all your baggage, the frustrations, the disappointments, the what ifs, the why he didn't come through, and choosing to worship, and choosing to love him, regardless of what's going on in the midst of pain and brokenness. But artists, lawyers, builders, contractors, farmers, pastors, entrepreneurs, architects, mums, dads, aunties, uncles, grandparents, writers, creatives, students, teachers, children of God, we're all worshippers and we all have something unique and beautiful to offer to the Lord. Scripture says time and again, sing a new song, lift up a shout, lift up your hands, make a joyful noise to the, to the Lord all the earth. There is no escape clause from bringing a song offering to the Lord. As a designer and a creative myself, my spirit and truth worship often takes place in the unseen moments of my life where I'm creating, where I'm living as a sacrifice to the Lord. Having said that, I don't and I will not negate the responsibility and the privilege of joining together with other believers, the church, and bringing my all in our times of corporate worship. That's why when we gather, you'll always find me down the front getting my praise on because it's not one or the other, it's both and. Anonymous personal worship is the love song that we live out day to day and then from that place, we add our lyric to the larger corporate song when we gather together and worship and we choose to come to his throne with joy. I believe that we're all called to be worship leaders too. Most of us won't be on the stage with a microphone, but we've all been given a sphere of influence by God and he longs for us to discover the joy of living a life that passionately leads everyone around us to the King of Kings. 2 Samuel 24, 22 finds King David looking to buy a threshing floor to offer his sacrifice, his worship to God. And the owner of that field, a man by the name of Ornan, tells David, you can just have this floor for free. And he says, no, I insist on paying you for it because I will not offer a sacrifice to the Lord my God that has cost me nothing. And then many years later, in 2 Chronicles 3.1, we find his son Solomon preparing to build the house of the Lord. It says, Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem and Mount Moriah, the place where the Lord had appeared to David his father, the threshing floor of Ornan. This same location where, incidentally, Abraham had come to offer and sacrifice his son Isaac hundreds of years prior was offered as a place of worship and sacrifice by David and then later became the site of Solomon's temple where thousands would gather to worship. Choosing to bring a sacrifice of praise today becomes a habit tomorrow and a place that he inhabits for generations to come. Worship puts a line in the sand and declares that this place, that this temple will be holy ground and his alone. Musicians, would you come and join me? In finishing up tonight, I've asked these guys to lead us in a simple song of adoration. Straight vertical praise. It's an oldie and it's a goodie. Most of you should know it. Then I'm also realizing a lot of you are quite young and you may not know it. <laughs> so the lyrics will be up there no matter what. And we're going to open up the front again this evening 
and intentionally create a space for you to come and meet with God. Let this space tonight, wherever you are, let it be your threshing floor, your burning bush or your midday well. And in this moment, let's join together and adore the Lord. In spirit and in truth, add your notes to the greater symphony of praise being offered to the Lord. Return the love song that he's been singing over you all along as you raise your voice and you raise your life to the one who's worthy of it all. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.